We're starting a new series today. I'm excited about that. And it, it really has to do with what we talked about last week. How many of you were here last week on Easter Sunday? Amen. We had a great weekend. And if for the only reason, because Jesus was the guest of honor. Last weekend, we didn't have an Easter egg hunt. Uh, and we actually had a very challenging message. We talked about honoring Jesus' presence, and this was kind of, I want to kind of go over just a little bit for a few minutes because we're going to go into, we're starting a series based off of this. My main point was this, the modern church has made today's church experience mostly about people instead of Jesus. We come in with our agenda, our likes, dislikes, our expectations. I've heard this uh, so a couple of times, but I know it happens a lot, but I hear people, I've heard people tell me later on, confessing to me, and saying, I was mad because that person didn't say hello to me. Ouch or amen. <laughs> well, the music was too loud. Well, the sermon went too long. Well, I don't like how they looked at me. We come in with our expectations, with our agenda. Let me ask you this question. I like asking questions here. I feel like I say that a lot because questions really make us think. How many of us would walk into another person's house and tell them how to run their house? Run their house. (laughs) How to run their house. Nobody would. But we do that many times when we come into church. We say, I don't like the way that looks. I don't like the lighting. How come the lights are on? How come the lights are off? We were, if you notice during worship, we had, it was a lot of acoustic, mainly just the piano and, and Caitlin leading us. And I, as, I, as they were singing, I thought about a dance. You know, I don't dance. I wish I could dance. I grew up in a very traditional legalistic church that didn't believe in dancing outside of church. We could dance in church. It looked kind of crazy, but we didn't believe in dancing. So I really, I really uh, respect people who can dance. But they tell me that when a couple is dancing, who's supposed to lead? The man. The man is supposed to lead. Well, watch this. We are the bride of Christ. He is our husband. And so he determines how we dance. He determines how we live. We're uh, at the marriage relationship, it mirrors our relationship with Jesus. He is the husband, we are the bride, he is the head, we are, we are to follow. Any good husband loves their spouse, don't get, no, no some, um, some people are getting nervous. Uh, great husbands lead their families well and put their family's interests before themselves. The reason why women don't want to submit to a man or a husband is because the husband has not proven his love for his family. And so, but this is the way it's created. So we are to follow. And so I mentioned during worship, for some of us, I could sense, okay, we're singing the same lyric over and over and over again. Watch this. If we stop being concerned about how we feel about it and concerned about whether he wants us to go that direction and won't, f- won't feel weird after a while because we're following his lead. This is his house, right? This is his house. I want to ask you a question. When you walk into church, whose agenda are you most concerned about? Yours or God's? And sometimes we may say, well, God wouldn't do that. We, we, we 
we play that card. Well, it's not my agenda, but God wouldn't want that. Most of the times when I hear that said, it's people using the God card because they don't like what's happening. Whose agenda? Do we walk in concerned about what God thinks and, what, and how we can help our brothers and sisters? Are we concerned about what we want? We honor Jesus' presence by putting his will and agenda above our own. And what is God's agenda? For us to love him and love people. The two greatest commandments. We talked about that last week. When we love God with all of our heart and love people as we love ourselves. I wanted to take a second and just um, um, interject this. If you go to kingdom here, we believe that you should be serving. And so if you're not serving, I want to challenge you. Um, if you've been going for any length of time and you're not serving, I want to challenge you. Are you coming so that you can be served or so that you can serve others? That's the only reason, and this is going to be a hard word for somebody. That's the only reason somebody wouldn't serve or serve more because they're more concerned about what they want. It's very selfish. And actually, if you want to be real technical, it's demonic. The devil concern, is concerned about how much he can take away from us, and God is concerned about how much he can give to us. So to purposely not serve is to act like the devil. For God so loved the world that he gave, and he gave. The devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm just asking us, we need to check our heart. But here's the thing about honoring his presence. The more we honor his presence and his, and his agenda, the more of his presence we get. And the more of his presence we get, the more of his power we get. This is why we serve. The reason why we don't want to serve and we want to serve ourselves is because we, we, we think, well, I'm tired. Well, I'm busy. We th- we're thinking about our needs. But the truth is, when you let go of your idea of what you need and start serving other people, then you begin to get more God's power. I'm going to ask you a question. Who can take care of you better, you or God? This is why we serve. This is why we, we give to others, because when we do that, we get more of his power. And one of the things I want to challenge us to do every day is to say, God, how can I honor you more in my life today? And I just ask him this, Lord, would you highlight an area in my life that I'm not honoring you in? Because we can honor him well in one area and not honor him well in another area, which means we can see his power and authority in one area and his blessing, and we can see um, devastation in another area. We can see no fruit in another area. Just an example of this is um, some parents may, and it's very natural to love your kids. That's why I, why I picked this example. But you can have a great relationship with your kids. You can love them, take care of them, feed them, clothe them, you know, everything. And you can see fruit in that area, but at the, on the same token, you could have a horrible relationship with your spouse because you're spending all your time with your kids and see no fruit in that area. And the truth is that if you don't have a good relationship with your spouse, your kid, do you think your kids notice that? Absolutely. So when they go to get married, whose example have they been watching their whole life? And so whose example do you think they're going to try to emulate in their relationship? Every day we ask the Lord, Lord, how can we honor your presence more in our life? I, um, so one of the, I just wanted to bring up this example. Here recently, me um, and a couple of our small group leaders, Corey and Christian, 
started uh, this group text to keep ourselves accountable. And one of the areas I've mentioned for years and years, if you've known me any length of time, is the Lord has challenged me to get up in the morning and pray. And I've done it, I would do it faithfully for a little bit, and then I would just kind of fall off because I would have late nights. And, you know, God, you know, I was um, at small group, or I was at church, I was praying with this person, so I can't get up in the morning, and I would have all these excuses. But at the end of the day, end of the day they're excuses. Because God said, I have an appointment with you at 6. And there's only, there, are only certain, there are certain things I'm only going to tell you at that time. I'm not going to tell you any other time. And so a couple weeks ago, I, um, me, Christian, and Corey just said, hey, let's keep ourselves accountable and just and text one another in the morning if we met our appointment. And I can tell you, since I've done that, I've seen such a change in my life. Because I've learned to honor his presence. But it comes with accountability. It comes with saying, is that comfortable? Trust me, it's not, it's not comfortable. There's been a few days where I've woken up late or I didn't meet the appointment because whatever. And I have to text them, hey, guys, I missed it. How does that sound, the pastor of the church saying, oh, it's like, man, if you're missing that appointment, what hope is there for any of us to meet our appointment? <laughs> but as I've honored his presence in this area, I've seen so much fruit, so much more peace and authority. How can we honor his presence more? So last week, I meant, if you were here, I mentioned I walked in with this burden for us really um, honoring God's house as his house and not just our house. And the point of the message was really to reevaluate how we look at church and how we behave in church or how we act in church. And this is, and this is um, just the reality. The truth is, In church, there are some things we do that come directly out of the Word of God. Like there's a biblical mandate. And there are some things we do in church that come, we practice because it's an established tradition. I'm going to give you an example. Question. Does it say in the Bible to go to church regularly? Okay, see, I'm already, I'm already exposing why are we doing, and I'm about to throw a lot of questions at you. Does it say in the Bible to go to the church regularly? I would hope so, because you come regularly. If not, we're just, what are we doing, right? Look at Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider, he says, let us come up with a game plan on how we are to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Let me ask you, is that your habit? You don't meet together, but every Easter, every Christmas, or once in a while? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the day? Jesus is coming back. He's coming. Are you going to be found faithful? So, is it biblical to meet together regularly? Okay, yes, it is. Here's another question. Is it biblical to go to church on Sunday mornings? Show me the verse. You're not going to find it. It's not in the Bible. So how can we go to church on Sunday mornings? Because it's a, well, I'll get into it more next week. But it's because it's a tradition that the early church fathers established. And it's a good tradition because we're, gonna, we're supposed to meet regularly, so we've got to pick a day anyways. Sunday was the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and so they picked that day. It's the Lord's Day. 
It's a good day. It's the beginning of the week. We start off our week on Sunday, so what better place to start off than with God's people on Sunday morning? So that's a reason. It's not in the Bible, but it's a good tradition. Can we see that? After Easter, I began thinking honestly about everything that we do, everything. And I, was, I, was, I began wondering, is what we're doing biblical? Like everything. Are, is what we're doing biblical is it traditional or, watch this, is it self-serving? Because many people go to church because they don't feel good or they're in a bind, so they come to church so they can get their prayers answered, and then once their prayers are answered, they leave and they don't come back until the next issue comes up. It's self-serving. Church, honestly, the modern church is self-serving. It is. It's not about what God wants. Yes, we, lo- we praise Him, we honor Him, but ultimately our main motive is because we need something Here's some other questions, and some of you might have, some, have asked these questions. Why do we sing in church? Why do we raise our hands in church? Why do we have lights? Why do we come to the altar? Why do we stand at the end of service? Why do we get baptized? Why do we give tithes and offerings? Why do we have small groups? Why do we serve at church? Or already answered that one. Why do we take communion? Why do we at Kingdom do it at the beginning of the month and other churches take it every week? Why do some people dress up and some don't? Is there a right way to dress when you come into God's church? Why do we go to church Sunday mornings? Why are services one to one and a half hours long? How come they're not shorter? Some of us are asking that. Are we asking that because we don't want to be here longer because we have things to do? Why is church not longer? I don't think anyone's asking that. Why do we have pastors? What are pastors? And I, and I had this thought, and, and this is the Lord. Lord gave me this thought, and I shared this with the staff this past week, but I had this thought. If someone were to come into our church that didn't know anything, like anything, except for maybe like Jesus could help them, and if they gave their life to Jesus, then he would give them a better life or save them, whatever. If they knew nothing and they wanted to know how to follow Jesus, what would I tell them? Would it be backed up biblically, everything I told them, or would it be grounded in something else? First Timothy 3.14 says this. I hope this is Tim, uh, Paul writing to Timothy, who was, a, we believe, a young pastor. He said this, I hope to come to you soon, Timothy, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, if I don't come when I'm planning to come, you may know how to be, how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. He said, I'm writing to you, I'm giving you a blueprint so that you know how one is supposed to behave and act in God's church. He said, and, he, and actually, you're asking what the church is? We, we talked about this last week. But the church of the living God is the house of God. And who is the house of God? We are the house of God. The church is the house of God, not a building. The church meets in a building, and, we, and it's okay to call it the church. We call it, even as, we're, hey, we're going to the church. Just an easy way to identify where we meet together. But we are the church. I'm individually the body of Christ, and we collectively are the body of Christ. In this, in this chapter, Paul had just explained the role of pastors, he actually calls them overseers, and the role of deacons, those who serve in different ministries. And we'll talk about that too. 
But the thing I want you to take away from this is God has a specific blueprint for building and living in his house. There is a specific way we are to come in, and there is a specific way we are to build up his house. So over the next several weeks, we're going to go into this series called Building God's House. And this is the question we're going to answer. I think we have it on the screen. Are we building a house that Jesus is pleased to live in? Are we building a house that he is pleased to live in? We're going to re- honestly, we're going we're gonna to go to the studs and really to the foundation and look at, I'm going to try, and this is going to be hard because my mind likes to go to everything. Like, why do we, why, is, why are, are those words on the wall biblical? I, I think about, I think about it all. But we're going to, to the best of our ability, look at, re-evaluate these Christian principles and practices that we have and answer, are they biblical? Because we want to build a house that Jesus is pleased to dwell in. What's the implication? Watch this. We can build a house that he is not pleased to dwell in. You, you wonder why? The church used to be so influential in America. There's this lie that the church, that the, America was not founded on Christian values and that God was never involved and that this person was this. Our nation was absolutely founded on Christian values. We were, there's a reason we, are this, we have been the superpower of the world, but why our influence has declined over the last 50 years. It's because we've abandoned God. We built a house on God, but we've started emptying ourselves and inviting other idols. So it is very possible for us as Kingdom Church and you personally to build a house that he does not want to live in. Look at this passage in 1 Kings 9. King Solomon had just finished building the temple, and God responds to him. 1 Kings 9, verse 1, it says this. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house, so he built the temple, the house of the Lord, and then he built his own house. It says, and all that Solomon desired to build after he finished, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, this is what God said to Solomon, I have heard your prayer and your plea. Which you have made before me, I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. He said, the house that you have built, I've consecrated, I've accepted it, I'm pleased with it. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if he gives a condition, if he walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, Doing according to all that I've commanded you. He's saying, I've given you a list of rules for your, for your house, for your family's house, and for the temple. If you will do according to all that I've commanded you, keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not like a man on the throne of Israel. God made a promise to Solomon. He said, I've accepted the temple, and I will always have someone in your, in your line, in your family line, on the throne, if you keep my commandments. If this house that you have built, you live in it according to my rules. Is this clear? I'm going kind of slow because I, I, this needs to be clear. God has a specific way to build his house. I'm going to ask you, are you keeping your house according to his rules? You don't have to be God's house. 
the only thing you have to do is say, God, you're not my Lord anymore. So who wants to say that? Of course, because that means an eternity without him. Are we keeping our house? So God makes, and God, God makes promises to us as well. We can go to his word. He has many promises, but they're conditional. Are we going to follow him? But look what he says in verse, in verse 6. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship. Then we're going to talk about what those gods are in just a second. Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them, and the house that I, watch this, the temple that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and byword among all the peoples. And this house, this temple, will become a heap of ruins. There are many people who drive down the streets of America and around the world that look at certain churches and say, what a heap of junk. What a heap of ruins. They have no respect for the church. You know why they have no respect for the church? Because God is not in many of our churches. Because they built a place that honors people and doesn't honor God. It is not possible for someone to drive by a church that is truly honoring him. I mean, it is possible, but it's, it's not likely for people to drive by and say, God's not there. Because there's fruit. In this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by will be astonished and will hiss and say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster upon them. See, what happened is God took Israel out of Egypt, took them through the wilderness, and put them in the promised land. But then they got comfortable. They were established. They were eating well. Their kids had good lives. They were successful, and they got comfortable, and they began serving other gods. What are some of the gods that we serve? We serve pleasure. Some of us love to travel. Nothing wrong with traveling, but is it, do you love travel more than you love being with God's people on Sunday? Some of us love things, and we work hard many hours. Oh, I got to work, I got to work. Why do you have to work? Are you all starving? Are you trying to acquire wealth so you can buy something or so that you can feel secure? Well, at least I have this. Who's your provider? When you didn't have anything, who took care of you? See, it's very easy. I was just talking with the pastor this past week, and I was sharing with him the sermon that we preached, that we, we talked about last week. And the truth is, guys, America is the new mission field. It's very easy to go to places who don't have anything and present the gospel to them and then be desperate and say, you know what, I'm going to starve. This is, let, me, let me try Jesus. Let me follow Jesus. But to, in, but to introduce Jesus to a people who really don't need Jesus or they think they don't need Jesus is very, very hard. We are a land full of idols. This is the land of opportunity. It's really a, a land of, for an opportunity to have many idols. We can we want to build a house that he's pleased to dwell in because the truth is he could be angry in his house. Did you know Jesus gets angry? Do you know Jesus can get angry with us? That might be new to somebody. He can get angry with us. Do you know we can make Jesus angry in his house? Look at this story, Mark 3, verse 1. 
And he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. A man whose hand was withered that wasn't working. I don't know if he had damaged it or whether he was born that way, but he had a hand that wasn't functioning the way that our hands are supposed to function. And they, the religious people, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. See, the Jews had this rule. It was the fourth commandment that said, you are to honor the Sabbath. And the Jews interpreted it as saying, you can't do anything on the Sabbath. You can't work. You can't walk. You can only walk so far. We want you to rest. God is telling us to rest. But the thing, well, the thing with these religious people is that they manipulated this law to satisfy their own selfish needs. And they were using the law in this moment. It was the Sabbath, and they were trying to find a way to accuse Jesus. And they saw this man who needed healing, and they knew that Jesus was healing a lot of people. So they took advantage of the law and, and to see if he would heal so that they could accuse him. But here's the truth. If they had wanted to do something on the Sabbath, they would have found a loophole and said, well, it's okay to do something on the Sabbath so that they can meet their selfish needs. They really weren't interested in keeping the commandment. And you, and you see this, if you read the Bible, in the, in the, Jesus constantly and consistently exposed their hypocrisy. They said that they were, we're keepers of the law, but in the reality, they were twisting the law to meet their selfish needs. Jesus actually later taught that the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made to serve you. Not, we weren't made to serve the Sabbath. The reason Jesus gave us the Sabbath is so that we wouldn't work ourselves to death. And this is something that the American, that American church needs because we work many, many hours. And God is saying, I didn't create you to work. I created you to rest in me. Let me take care of you. Verse 3, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come here, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were sound. Look at this verse. He says, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. So he brings the man before the religious people because he knows their heart, and he says to them, is it lawful, go back, verse 4, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save life or to kill. But they were silent. Jesus exposes them in that moment. He says, look, is it good to heal this man or not on the Sabbath? What was their response? Nothing. They were so blinded. If they knew the law, if they really knew the law, they would know that the law was given to help people. And Jesus says, is it good to help people? They were so blinded that they couldn't, they couldn't uh, understand the purpose of the law in trying to help this person. They were willing to keep a religious requirement instead of helping a person which was actually the spirit of the law. Does that make sense? They were so blinded. And this is what Jesus, and look what Jesus, look how Jesus responds in verse 5. And he looked around them with anger Remember, this is the church. The synagogue is church. Grieved at their hardness of hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is how hardened they were. They couldn't even rejoice that a man was healed, that they saw and witnessed a miracle. This is how hardened they were. And this is people in church. 
we have our ideas of how things are supposed to go, but whenever things are happening that we don't like, we get mad and angry, and we can't even appreciate how people are being set free. We've had, I'm just going to say it, we've had a lot of people that have manifested demons the last several months. Last night in my small group, we prayed for somebody for two hours that was manifesting all kinds of demons. I've heard people get upset at that and say, well, that makes me feel uncomfortable. This, I, don't, I don't like this happening. Not understanding that people are being set free from years and years and years of bondage. Now, is there a way to deal with that? Yeah, I'm all about order. And we, we are all about order. But we're not going to stop doing something when it's helping them, especially when it's biblical. And this was the religious people. They would rather not, they'd rather leave the man unhealed, broken, just so they can say, well, we didn't do it on the Sabbath day. I want us to ask this question. Am I doing something that is grieving or angering God in his house? In this house and in this house. God is looking for a people who are going to build his house the right way because he wants a people that are actually going to go out, reach, and save the lost. I'm going to ask you a question. I love questions. Who's the last person you led to the Lord? Not just told them about the Lord, but we're talking about them and they started coming to church, got saved, and their lives were changed. Do you know that was a regular thing in the book of Acts? Do you know that was not just in the book of Acts? Do you know that that has been a regular thing in different parts of church history? It needs to be regular again. We need to not be ashamed anymore. And when the Lord leads us to speak to somebody, go and speak to them. When we begin doing this, we begin honoring his presence. And when we honor his presence, we'll see more of his authority and power.